Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Are You Freaking Kidding Me podcast with me, Joe Vigiano. On this episode, we're going to talk uh, some college football and take a look at the uh, preseason top 25 and uh, throw a little bit of, uh, of my two cents on those things. In particular, teams that are overrated, teams that are underrated, and teams that are ranked where they should be. We're also going to talk about the uh, start of the preseason football as the Hall of Fame game was played on Thursday night. And we're going to talk about the induction ceremony as there were two Jets inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame on Saturday night. We're also going to talk about the baseball season and uh, where the Yankees and the Mets go from here. I'm ready to uh, tackle all these issues on this next episode of the Are You Freaking Kidding Me podcast. Let's start off with some college football. I'm excited for the season to start. We're about a month away from uh, real football for the college football season. And uh, the preseason rankings are out from uh, ESPN in particular. And I'm going to go off of the ESPN rankings and pick apart uh, quite a bit of it because where they have teams ranked is kind of insane. Let's start off at the top where they have the Ohio State Buckeyes as the number one team in the country ahead of Alabama, the two-time champion uh, Georgia Bulldogs, the LSU Tigers, the team they've lost to twice in the last two years, and uh, the Michigan Wolverines. And uh, there's uh, plenty more to go off of. So let's talk a little bit about uh, about the Ohio State Buckeyes. Ohio State has been perennially a top five program for uh, many years now and have been a force in the Big Ten Conference uh, pretty much since uh, 2000, just dominant in the Big Ten Conference. Well... Um, the problem is they are not even the best team in the conference. I believe, uh, Michigan still holds that, uh, holds that, uh, spot. And here's why Michigan returns the two key pieces to their offense in Blake Corum and JJ McCarthy. That's right. The quarterback and running back positions, probably the two most important skill positions to have in college football and Michigan returns both of those. Follow that up with uh, Michigan dominating the line of scrimmage in each of the last two matchups against Ohio State, where I think the uh, the Big Ten uh, is going to be decided on once again is in the trenches. Michigan once again is dominant in the trenches. Why would you think any differently that Michigan would uh, slack off against Ohio State. The part that I'm really confused about, though, is the fact that Ohio State is uh, starting a new quarterback this year as uh, C.J. Stroud is now in the NFL. They have plenty of great players in the skill positions at running back and wide receiver, and undoubtedly Ohio State will have a quarterback that will get the ball to all those players. Not saying they're going to slip and, and fall and dramatically take a step back. Uh, 
But to put them as the number one team in the nation when uh, the team in their conference that is returning the two most important spots on the skill positions in college football is uh, you know still uh, going to be facing them and probably will beat them again. I, I just don't see how Ohio State uh, is the number one team in the country this year. Looking at number two, ESPN has Alabama as the number two ranked team in the country. And I could see it to, to a certain extent. However, once again, Alabama has some severe questions at quarterback. Bryce Young, once again, went to the NFL. So there's a little bit of a quarterback uh, competition right now at Alabama. And I think that could uh, prevent them from being the top team in the SEC, especially when you're talking about a team that is ranked right behind them, the back-to-back champion uh, Georgia Bulldogs. Alabama is always competitive. They once again will be competitive. They probably will win the SEC West and play for the SEC Championship once again. I don't deny that for a second. But when you look at who they got to face on the other half of the conference, and that is the Georgia Bulldogs, do they really stack up? Georgia has really built quite a program and being ranked number three if, if I were a uh, fan of the Georgia Bulldogs, I'd be insulted. This team has won the national championship two years in a row, and they should be preseason ranked number one. Yes, they lost Stetson Bennett, but is Stetson Bennett really that big of a loss, especially when you're talking about returning Brock Bowers and returning a lot of the defense, which was the strength of the national championship teams? Come on now. Georgia should be the number one ranked team in the country in preseason top 25. There's no argument there, I don't think. Georgia should be number one until proven otherwise. Number four, the LSU Tigers. Now, LSU took some big steps last year, but Brian Kelly does have a way of choking in the big games, and one of their biggest games is always Alabama especially now that uh, both of these teams are in the same uh, conference and in the same division of the same conference. I do not see LSU beating Alabama. And that is going to hold LSU back from being a playoff contender. That's just the way I see it. LSU is going to be talented, don't get me wrong. They're probably going to be a top 10 program. But do I think they are uh, one of the four representatives for the national championship? No, I don't. I don't see that at all. Not ahead of Ohio State, not ahead of Michigan, not ahead of Alabama or, uh, or Georgia. I think they're one of the teams that are on the outside looking in, and uh, it is what it is. ESPN uh, also had uh, number five ranked team of Texas. Are you kidding me, Texas? You have Texas as a top five team. They're a good program, but they aren't anywhere near a top 10 program. Sorry, just not going to cut it. It's like trying to make fetch happen. Trying to get Texas back in the top five or back in the top 10 is not going to happen until they can prove they can win 
some of these bigger games. This is their last year in the Big 12. And if they are not able to, you know, to perform in the Big 12, when they jump over to the SEC next year, they're going to be in a lot of trouble. Sorry, Texas is not, is not that team. They're not. They're good. They will be good. They're top 25 good. They might be top 15 good, but they're not going to be top 10 good, especially because they still find a way to struggle against some of the top-tier programs in the Big 12, which is not anywhere near the competition they'll be facing, uh, not this year, but, but next year. At number six, ESPN has Michigan. Really? Texas ahead of Michigan? Texas. We already talked in detail about Ohio State being ranked against them and how that's a travesty. But Texas, that's an insult. Michigan is the, uh, the class of the Big Ten, let's be honest. They are the class of the Big Ten until proven otherwise. Michigan is going to probably win the Big Ten once again. Now, they, ha- they have some tough games, don't get me wrong. Like going into Happy Valley, they have to try to beat Penn State at at. Penn State, that's that's tough. It's doable, but uh, it's tough. And Michigan has struggled at Happy Valley, so that could be something that uh, that we could be uh, looking out for towards the end of the season. It's one of their last three games. Um, Ohio State is always their last game of the year. It's going to be a tough matchup, but again, I think they beat Ohio State. So... We could be in for an interesting season in the Big Ten, especially with Michigan. Michigan should be uh, the top-ranked Big Ten team, and that's just how I see it. Ranked seven in the ESPN Top uh, 25, they have USC. Again, why are we trying to make Fetch happen? USC does return Caleb Williams, the Heisman-winning quarterback, um, and certainly their offense is going to be uh, high-flying once again. But when you look at that defense, USC is not going to be able to put up enough points to overcome how bad that defense is, especially when they got to face a physical team like Utah every year. You know, they'll beat, they'll beat some of the more athletic teams in the Pac-12, but they're not going to beat the more physical teams of the Pac-12, and that's uh, that's teams like Utah. It's going to be uh, it's going to be tough for them to win the win the Pac-12, especially when they got to face uh, Utah. We saw it last year in in the uh, bowl game against uh, Tulane. Tulane out physicaled them, and they beat them. They ran the ball down their throats. If they can't stop the run. They're not going to do anything to be in that national championship conversation. That's just the way it is. At number eight, ESPN has Clemson. Now, Florida State might be back. Maybe. I don't know. They had a great season last year. They certainly are a very talented team that's going to be better this year than they were last year. Clemson has underperformed the last couple of years, I think, or or at least uh, it seems offensively. But Clemson still does have a pretty strong defense. 
problem is you have to be a complete team to win a conference, especially now that uh, it seems like Florida State could be back after what they did last year. Clemson could be knocked off by Florida State. It's going to be a tight battle for the ACC. But ranking them number eight, I don't know. I don't know if I would rank them that high. Certainly uh, put them in the top 15, but I don't know if I would put them in the top 10. But I guess you got to put somebody there from the ACC and and create a little bit of uh, talk about the ACC, and that's uh, exactly what they did here. At number nine, Notre Dame. Again, Notre Dame is a program that gets hyped every single year. And they're talented. They're a talented team that lost a lot of uh, tough games early in the year last year and then uh, figured it out towards the middle of the season and continue to get better towards the end of the year. Can they ride that end-of-year success into a good start this year and uh, you know, and ride it to a good record this year to be a top-10 team? I guess we'll see. Maybe Marcus Freeman can do something with that, but there are some uh, big losses. (laughs) They don't have their offense coordinator from last year. They have a new quarterback starting this year. Um, It's a lot to overcome, but we'll see. Notre Dame is uh, certainly a top 15 program, but again, I wouldn't necessarily rank them in the top 10. At number 10, ESPN has the Penn State Nittany Lions. Now, Penn State does have a couple of big losses, starting with their uh, their quarterback, Sean Clifford. You know, after playing at Penn State for six years, Penn State uh, has to move on to a new quarterback. And that is sophomore Drew Aller. Now, I think Drew Aller is going to be an incredible quarterback. He... I think has much more of an upside than what they had with uh, Sean Clifford. But what Sean Clifford brought to the program was consistency and stability. I hope Drew Aller can uh, bring that same sort of consistency and stability to the program. But who knows? It's going to be something that's going to be fun to watch. Because once again, I think he has way more of an upside than they had with uh, Sean Clifford. And he's the type of quarterback that maybe they can win something with. I hope so anyway. So it'll be exciting to see what he does when he takes the field on uh, the first game of the season. Penn State also has a couple of big losses in their secondary as uh, they lost their two starting cornerbacks from last year's team. And that's going to be uh, that's going to be tough. Hopefully they have uh, something in there that... Uh, will lessen the uh, lessen the loss, but they do have some things that uh, are going for them on the defensive side, in particularly on the defensive ends, where they can get some pressure on the quarterbacks. And at uh, linebacker, they still return uh, their stud linebacker in Abdul Carter. There are plenty of things to be excited about with Penn State, uh, especially with their two uh, running backs and Singleton and Allen. I'm looking forward to seeing what they can do this year. I think they potentially are a top 10 team. And if they can upset uh, either Ohio State or Michigan, that could be enough to put them in the, uh, 
in the top six. That should be good enough to put him in the top six. Let's just say that. Top 10-wise, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't agree fully with what ESPN put. As I mentioned, I wouldn't put Texas in there. I wouldn't put USC in there. And I certainly wouldn't put uh, Clemson in there or Notre Dame. The rest of them I, I do agree with as far as being in the top 10. But where they sit in the top 10, I don't agree with. There's going to be some some other teams that I think that could have a shot at the top 10. One of which being Florida State. Florida State, as I mentioned, uh, had a great season last year, and I think they could uh, certainly march their way back to uh, prominence this season with uh, what they're bringing in. So uh should be exciting. I'm ready to uh, see what, uh, what happens at the start of the college football season, and we won't have to wait too long before one of the uh, marquee matchups happens, and that is week one of the season where Florida State faces LSU. And we'll find out how real LSU and Florida State are right off the jump as they face each other. So let's get ready for uh, week one, which uh, happens towards the end of August and beginning of September. Now let's talk about some of the teams outside of the top 10 that I think could uh, find their way in the top 10. I've already uh, stated that I'm pretty high on Florida State. That is some. That is a team that I think could uh, find their way in the top 10. Oregon, uh, they could find their way in the top 10. Utah could find their way in the top 10. Um, neither of which I think are uh, I'm really confident in, especially because Pac-12. Uh, the Pac-12 is uh, such a tight conference in general that I think uh, all those teams are going to beat each other up and really prevent having uh, one of the teams be a top 10 contender. Uh, But you never know. Um, Oregon, USC, and Utah, and Washington are the uh, top of the Pac-12 teams. So I think, uh, you know, in in particular, I think Oregon and Utah are the the top two teams in the Pac-12. As I said, Florida State, they're going to get uh, challenged early against uh, LSU, and they'll have a challenge later on in the year against Clemson. That uh, is going to uh, determine whether they are uh, top 10 worthy status. If they can uh, navigate at least one of those two games and, w- and win one of those two games, they certainly should be in the top 10. Um, but, but those are the uh, teams that I think could surprise teams uh, getting into the top 10. Uh, I've already mentioned the teams in the top 10 uh, that ESPN has ranked that uh, could find their way out of the top 10 or could find their way lower than what they are uh, currently ranked at. But uh, that's my feeling. That's uh, how I read the season so far uh, on who's going to be where. But now let's talk about uh, the the professional uh, football league, the National Football League, as... um, Preseason football has officially begun. So the New York Jets faced the Cleveland Browns in the Pro Football Hall of Fame game. Um, Not really much of a surprise that neither team really played either. They're starting uh, offensive or defensive units and played all the backups and and third stringers and so on. I kind of figured that's what was going to happen, as I mentioned in a previous podcast, that uh, is probably... That is probably what was going to happen, 
and it played out exactly like I thought. Um, if you uh, watch the game, there are some things that uh, that you could be excited about, but at the same time, you're looking at backups, so it's really hard to gauge where they're going to be uh, come week one of the football season, whether there's going to be any of those guys uh, really competing for a starting spot or whatnot. But most of the guys that played are guys fighting for uh, spots on the roster. The the test will really come over the next couple of weeks when uh, the starters are probably going to get a little bit more playing time. Granted, they might get a series in uh, in the next game. They might get... uh, they might get a quarter in uh, week three, and they might get uh, a half in in the, the fourth preseason game. But, uh, you know, we'll see what happens when those games come, but uh, that's kind of where I sit right now in terms of uh, the Pro Football Hall of Fame game. Now let's talk about uh, the two inductees from uh, the New York uh, sports teams that got in- inducted to the Hall of Fame on Saturday. Uh, first, let's talk about Joe Klecko. Joe Klecko was a, uh, a huge, huge force on the New York Jets in the 80s, in particular uh, the New York Sack Exchange with uh, Mark Gastineau, uh on the other side. Now, Joe Klecko is one of, the, uh, one of the best defensive players to ever suit up for the New York Jets. Uh, the other person that you can make an argument with as uh, far as the best defensive player to ever suit up for the New York Jets was also inducted into the uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame this year, and that was Darrell Revis. Revis Island, as uh, everybody has already known, he, he could be put out on an island against the team's top receiver and shut him down. He did it several times throughout his career, uh, probably his most notable uh, performance was against Calvin Johnson, where uh, Megatron was held to one reception for, I believe it was 11 yards. But yeah, like I said, he was shut down. Darrell Revis was a huge part of the Jets' success in the uh, in the late 2000s, in particular uh, the 2009-2010 seasons, in which the Jets made it to the uh, AFC title game in back-to-back years. But uh, he ended up winning a ring with the New England Patriots, which for a lot of Jets fans knocks him down a peg because he went over to New England and uh, and um, got a title with them. He also played a little bit with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, before going to New England and then uh, came back to the Jets to finish his career. Um, like I said, he was a shutdown corner. He was, he was somebody that... Uh, Went really late in the first round when he was drafted and became a steal for the Jets. You know, just uh, just a great uh, great career for both of those guys, and both of them were well deserved of being inducted into the Hall of Fame. As far as the rest of pro football, the Giants continue training camp as they continue to gear up for uh, Week One of the preseason which uh, comes this coming week. So we'll see what happens when, uh, when the uh, players put pads on in, uh, in real competition this coming week. All I know is I'm excited for more, uh, more action in terms of football other than uh, what's going on in training camp. Uh, you got to be happy with what you're seeing from Daniel Jones in training camp as he's been playing pretty well. 
Uh, now that the pads are on, he's been playing uh, pretty decently. But again, it's hard to tell uh, how good he's going to be and how good the rest of the Giants offense is going to be when they're only facing each other and not facing uh, any sort of competitive oppos- opposition. So we'll see what happens. I'm looking forward to uh, what the next few weeks are going to bring and and temper my expectations uh, pretty much through the preseason until we get closer to week one. Uh, as I said, as we get close to week one, I will be putting out a uh, NFL preview podcast where we'll uh, talk about uh, who I think is going to win each division, who I think is going to be representing the playoffs for each conference, and who I think is going to be going to the Super Bowl. Uh, I'm looking forward to that because that means it's real at that point. So uh, for now, that's where we're going to that's where we're going to hold uh, all the football talk, and we'll uh, roll back into some of the more disappointing uh, portion of the summer, which is uh, the baseball season. And while baseball in New York has been very disappointing. Uh, there's been some uh, fun things that happened over the weekend, um, most notably the uh, Guardians and the White Sox series. If you haven't been paying attention to uh, what was going on between Cleveland and Chicago, uh, last night there was a fight that broke out between Jose Ramirez and Tim Anderson. Um, in particular, the benches uh, started to clear, and and there were a couple of mini skirmishes that broke out as a result. Uh of the uh, initial uh, back and forth between Anderson and Ramirez. So what ended up happening there, uh, Jose Ramirez slid into second base uh, on a double, and uh, Tim Anderson tagged him pretty high up on the head uh, with a little bit of force too. Jose Ramirez took exception to it and uh, got in his face, uh, put a finger in his face and uh, was pointing at him. There was a little bit of John back and forth before Tim Anderson dropped the glove, dropped the ball, and squared up to swing. Anderson took a couple of swings, and then Ramirez clocked him with a with a blind haymaker right to the jaw, knocking him on his uh, rear end. Uh, and that's where it all started. Um, the bench is cleared, the bullpen's cleared, and this was not like your normal... Uh, baseball fight where the benches and bullpens clear they all stand around jawing at each other for a few minutes before the umpires and managers take control and send everybody back to their dugouts this actually was uh, a little bit more heated than most of those baseball fights it was exciting to watch i'll say that much and uh you know it's one of those things that i wish we could see more of in a sense just because you know a lot of these teams don't necessarily uh, like each other, um, and and the blood boils over a little bit, and, and some of the uh, antics get old at times, and um, you know, y- you want to see some more of that raw emotion from some of these teams, so it, it was fun to watch, because it's not something that uh, we're used to seeing in the current state of baseball. Uh, the, the last uh, big fight that I got to see between uh, the Yankees where there was like utter hatred probably dealt with the Red Sox. So um, having something like this uh, break out in a uh, division game is uh, fun to watch. Now on to the New York teams and their performance this week in uh, baseball, starting with the Mets. Since the Mets uh, traded off all of their uh, big name players, 
They have not won a single game. So they are 0-6, getting swept by the Kansas City Royals and the Baltimore Orioles, one of which you expected to see, the other a bit of a surprise. But it looks like the Mets uh, have completely given up on the season, not just the front office, but uh, everybody in the lineup, everybody that's on the current roster has given up on uh, the season, and therefore there's not really a lot to talk about other than uh, better hope uh, they have some pieces for the future because it's going to be a rough couple of years for the Mets. Now on to the team from the Bronx, the New York Yankees. Uh, it is well known that uh, my thoughts of the trade deadline for the Yankees was uh, a travesty in uh, so many words. And I'm not saying they should have uh, overpaid for a player. I'm not saying they should have traded the farm for a star if there was one available. I'm not saying they should have sold and moved on and see if they could retool for next season. But uh, what I am saying is doing nothing was a mistake. Bringing in a couple of middle relievers, guys that, uh, one, could help the bullpen. I'm not going to hold judgment against uh, Keenan Middleton, uh, who's been pretty good in the uh, two games that he has uh, pitched for the Yankees. But uh, Spencer Howard is a bit of a project at... Uh, the minute they brought him in, they put him to AAA, and he's not going to help the Yankees. So kind of a wasted move in my mind. Um, but there were some pieces they could have moved that could have in, uh, improved the roster a bit uh, in terms of um, next year, not so much this year. Um, one of the guys that I probably would have given up uh, was Glaber Torres. Um, not because he doesn't perform, he does perform. He just, uh, he's made a lot of gaffes this year, has had a lot of mental mistakes, and it seemed like he was wearing his welcome out of uh, here pretty quickly. On top of that, he's still talented enough that he could have helped a team that's actually in a pennant chase. This Yankee team's not in a pennant chase. I don't care what anybody says. Even with Judge back, even with Rodone back, even with Cortez back, uh, this team is not set up for success for the month of August and the month of September. It's going to be a struggle down the stretch for this team. Uh, as far as the Yankees' performance, though, uh, since the All-Star break in particular, uh, they lost. They lost two of three to Tampa Bay, and they split a four-game set with... Uh, with the Houston Astros, they had a chance to win the series, and uh, well, the big name free agent Carlos Rodon did anything but live up to his billing. Compound that with uh, Aaron Boone being a moron, uh, leaving Wandy Peralta in for more than an inning, a guy that doesn't normally pitch more than an inning, and when he does, he gets shellacked, which. Today, no surprise, he pitches uh, a second inning. He gives up four runs all in that second inning and doesn't even make it through the entire second inning. So the Yankees give up nine runs on four homers. And Houston did everything that they could to let the Yankees back in the game and, and potentially give the Yankees the game. And the Yankees couldn't get a stinking hit. They couldn't get a hit with runners in scoring position. The same things that have been the problem for this team the last two years 
continue to be the problem, and they still haven't figured out that they need to make a move or they needed to make a move before the trade deadline to get a guy that could do something with runners in scoring position. It's ridiculous. Now, you leave this roster alone and you expect them to hit just because Judge is back. Well, hate to break it to you, Judge was uh, an offer today. Stanton, an offer today. You know, just your, your big players have got to come up big in situations like this. Everybody else is getting on base. Heck, even Volpe got on base and he was an offer today. He, he got hit by a pitch and drove in a run. You know, Houston walked, I think, 11 batters in this game. They walked 11 batters. So the Yankees had 11 base runners without having to get a base hit. And then they get eight base hits on their own. And then the hit by pitch, they had 20 base runners today. And they can only push across seven runs. 20 base runners, they can only push across seven runs. It's insane. That is insane that you cannot push across more runs than that. They left so many runners on base. They had enough runners left on base that uh, could have populated a small freaking island. Pathetic. Just pathetic. And people think that this team is serious about making a run? The owner, the ownership, the front office, and the management, you know, the manager, and the players really think they have a run in them? They don't. They needed to go, as I said, before the uh, before this stretch of games with Baltimore, Tampa Bay, and Houston, they needed to win at least six or seven of these games. They needed to win seven out of the ten that they played. And they went four and six. Four and six. They lost the series to Baltimore. They lost the series to Tampa Bay. And they could have salvaged a 5-5 five and five record if they won today, won today. But they split the series with Houston. And now they uh, find themselves further back in the wild card uh, chase. I mean, if you want to look at the bright side of things, which is probably how Aaron Boone, Brian Cashman, and Hal Steinbrenner will look at it, at least they're not in last place anymore. Boston, they overtook. But as a Yankee fan... That's not good enough. Not being in last place and having that be a silver lining is not good enough. This team was supposed to be a contender for the World Series this year. At least according to the experts. This team was supposed to be a playoff contender. At least according to the experts. This team was supposed to be competing for the division. At least according to the experts, this team is five games out of a wild card spot. Technically four and a half. Four games in the loss column if you want to give it to them that way. But uh, you really think they're going to they're gonna make up these games? They have two months. They have two months worth of games left. A little bit less than two months worth of games left. And they have to make up four games. Four and a half games. You really think this team's going to do that? What have they shown you that makes anyone think that they'll be going on a run anytime soon? 
They haven't shown me anything. They haven't shown me anything all year. The only thing they've shown me all year is that they can't hit when it matters, and they can't hit with runners in scoring position. And, it, and they don't score runs unless, apparently today, there's a little bit of an additional caveat of unless they get walked in or hit by pitched in or they hit the home run. Outside of that, they can't do it. They can't manufacture their own runs. Just pathetic. It's a pathetic display all year for this team. And what else, what else do we need to have happen? What else, do, what else has to happen for the Yankees to decide that status quo is not good enough? Status quo is not good enough. Yankee fans, I, I think the only way that your voice is going to resonate with ownership is when you don't show up to the games. When you stop buying tickets, and that's not just at Yankee Stadium, by the way. Those of you living outside of the New York market, like myself, if the Yankees come to your market, don't buy tickets. Don't go to the games. Take the money out of Hal Steinberg's hands, and that'll make him reevaluate and reassess what he should be doing with this team. You embarrass an owner like that, they're going to they're gonna do whatever they can to get the fans back involved. That's just the fact of the matter. That's just the reality of it. You think, you really think uh, Hal Steinbrenner cares that you're booing at the stadium? Hey, you're still showing up. You're still showing that you care. Show them that you don't care. Stop going to the games. Stop going to the games. Affect his wallet. That's the only thing he cares about. That's the only thing he cares about is what's going in his pocket. Just a shame. Just a shame that this team, that this organization as a whole, has fallen off of a cliff since uh, George has passed away. Unbelievable. You know, we still got, like I said, a little bit less than two months of this crap left. A little bit less than two months of this crap left that we got to watch and invest time in. Uh, I mean, at least on Sundays coming up, starting uh, September 10th, we got football that will distract us from the garbage of the uh, Yankees and Mets baseball seasons. But that's still a month and four days away. I hope everybody can make it through to that point. Because this is going to be uh, a struggle of the next month. I'll say that much. You know, preseason football begins uh, this week for the Giants on Friday against the Detroit Lions. The Jets continue their preseason uh, slate this coming week as well. So at least some of the distractions are coming our way. It's just going to take a while. Anyway... That's going to be it for this particular podcast uh, episode of uh, Are You Freaking Kidding Me? Hope everybody has a good rest of your evening and the rest of your weekend.